I want you to go with me to Luke 24, one of my favorite stories uh, that we'll get into. Now, here's what I want you to do in the next couple of minutes, okay? Wasn't last weekend just amazing? Uh, we brought some kids, some internationals, up to go through the uh, Good Friday experience uh, Wednesday a week ago. And that was just kind of an amazing thing to see some of that through their eyes and to experience it ourselves. And then we did Easter on Saturday, and it was just incredible. And um, so what a great thing. Um, um, so my, my question is, after experiencing all that and diving into that, What's next? What was next for them? And uh, we're going to talk about that today. But I'm, here's what I'd like you to do. Tell your table today something, uh, an example of when Jesus, now you might mention some other surprise too. Um, I was surprised when she said yes. So, okay. But um, when Jesus has just surprised you, uh, even lately, okay? Take a, take a couple minutes around your table, talk about when Jesus has surprised you lately, all right? All right. When has Jesus surprised you lately? Have you had a surprise you want to share with the group? I'll share one, Steve. I'd love to hear, Teresa. On Thursday night at Celebrate Recovery, which I think is so precious right after Holy Week, that we had so many people take surrender chips. Oh, wow. Uh, on the top rack, all the surrender chips yeah. were gone, and I had to open the drawer and start pulling out more surrender chips. Now, when was this? Thursday night. This last Thursday this night, last Thursday right after night. Easter. Right. So tell us what a surrender chip is. I want to be sure a I understand that. A surrender chip is if there is anything in your life that you're ready to work on and you want to Give surrender up. it to Jesus. Wow. And that's anything. Any hard habit, hang up, addiction, relationship. So 70 chips were taken. We had to find more. No, not 70, but all of the chips that were on oh, okay. the top okay. rack. I don't know where I got that number, going. but okay. Because I don't even know how many are on the top rack. But how amazing. Rack. Right. That's amazing. What, what, what great news. Fantastic news. It's good. But Ray had some CR humor. He said that there was a poker game right after that. <laughs> <laughs> They'll lay a surrender chip down. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like something Cliff Payton would say, but okay. <laughs> Well, uh, go with. Too much. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Wayne. Steve, what, what is it? It's a recovery class. What's that called? Celebrate recovery. It's Thursday evenings. Uh, that's one of Teresa's projects, one of your biggest projects, and one of the great things that we do around here. My nephew Brian, Kylie's dad. By the way, Kylie's doing fantastic. Great to hear. Meant to bring a picture of her today from her senior. Oh yeah, daughter. yeah. Anyway, I've got to bring. Okay, now, go with me to Luke 24. We're going to talk about a surprise where Jesus surprised some guys, all right? Uh, one of my, maybe one of my favorite surprise stories. Let me give you a little bit of background. Um, two weeks ago, we studied about um, the women who discovered the empty tomb. That was the first few verses of Luke 24. And uh, then we kind of followed up and talked about two apostles that wanted to see the empty tomb for themselves, and they went running to there. 
what you and I need to know probably is that there were many first century Jewish people who believed in the bodily resurrection of the righteous dead. They had picked that up from, we think, from places like Daniel 12 um, uh, and some other places. But there were a lot of, okay, I'm going to impress you with a word. You can, you can use this at your next party. Um, I was thinking about the intertestamental period the other day. Uh, you know, so, so, you know, uh, you think about it all the time. Uh, but it, that's the period between... 400 B.C. when the Old Testament kind of closed and when um, the gospel is told um, uh, at, at kind of the, at the edge of, uh, uh, of the A.D., okay? So that, that period of time, there are a lot of texts in through there that did a lot of talking about, that kind of developed this thought of, of uh, the resurrection of the righteous dead. But not all Jews believed in the resurrection. Now, if you want to read kind of an interesting story, uh, go to Acts 23, and you can read a story about how, how Paul was about to get done in, and uh, he raises the question about the resurrection of the dead. He, he says out loud, he just says, you know, I'm being put on trial because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, what, that, what ensued then is there were Sadducees there who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and there were Pharisees there who do, and they start arguing, and they forget about Paul. So it, that's just kind of a great little story. But uh, So there were some who believed it, in it, but then, um, guys, I don't even know, incredible as it is, and we'll kind of pursue this a little bit today. Did the disciples actually believe in the resurrection of the dead? Certainly, we get the sense that they didn't have a sense that he would rise from the dead. Now, now we've got something that you and I have got to deal with. I talked about this a, a few days ago in, uh, in, Bible, in my Bible study, but we have what might be known as um, hindsight bias. And you have to lay aside hindsight bias to study texts like this that have a miraculous, surprising outcome. You understand what I'm talking about? We, we, can, we know how this story is going to end. And so if you can, read the story with fresh eyes without the bias of hindsight of knowing, well, I know how this is going to end. Think about it from the perspective of those who are living. In particular, uh, those two in the story at the end, uh, beginning with verse 13 in Luke 24 who experience it for the first time. Okay, so that's where we're going to start. Steve Blair, I'm going to uh, cue you up, if you will, to start with verse 13 and read. Um, actually, go ahead and read uh, down through 24, 13 through 24. Yes? Uh, they must have believed in resurrection because they had seen Jesus bring people back to life. However, uh, they had seen him do it at least twice, yeah. uh, three times. Those people had died of natural causes and they had seen it you know, on the cross. Yeah. He was, oh yeah. And it was three days, yeah. you know, or the third day, the third day, Lazarus was four days. Uh, so what, what is the challenge? And I, I want to put myself in their shoes, Charles, and say, had I been in that group of 11, I'd be scratching my head too, I think. 
It just hasn't happened this way before. Steve, start at 13 from Luke 24 and read down through, uh, through verse 24, if you would. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, Why are you, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked, asking, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman, women had said. But for him, they did. But him, they did not see. Okay, let's let me assign a few verses for us to look at as some backdrop. Um, um, Brad, can I get you to go to back to twenty three, and I'm going to have you read fifty four through fifty six. You do that, okay? Um, who will go to, well, I'll take us, we'll stay in 24 here in just a minute. Now, I need somebody to go to John 20 and read verse 14, 15, and 20. John 20, verse, Karen, you get it? John 20, verse 14, 15. Verse 20 is not on your outline, but, but we're going to need that one too. Um, okay? And then somebody go to um, Luke 22:23. Thank you, Cindy. That'll be great. All right. John 19, 25. John 19.25. Sally, that'd be great. Okay, that'll give us a ways down the road. Now, now, it begins by saying that same day. So if you'll go with me to the very first verse of the chapter, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, so this is Easter Sunday still. All right, this is the afternoon, we think, of Easter Sunday. All right, so on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb. So we studied that a couple weeks ago. All right, look at verse 9. Um, uh, verse 9 says, And they returned from the tomb, reported all these things to the eleven and all the rest. So uh, what you and I have got to kind of understand here is this is the first Easter Sunday. Um, uh, this is later on that day. And the two in the story had probably been to Jerusalem for Passover. It would have been required for them as, as uh, Jewish persons and, and certainly as believers in this case. But, but um, they had probably been in Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. So what, what you need to put in your blank here is that Passover is now over and the Sabbath is now over. They couldn't have made this seven-mile trip during Passover. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have been allowed to. So it's Sunday, not Saturday. Passover is over. The Sabbath celebration um, that uh, coincides here with, with the last week of Jesus' earthly life is over. And um, all of those are past. 
and they were likely, they were likely returning home. Now, Brad, go to 23 and read 54 down through 56. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So they came on Friday evening, Friday afternoon. The Sabbath begins at 6 p.m., on Friday night and carries through at 6 p.m. the next day. They were there to do as much as they could before the Sabbath begins. They left. They come back um, uh, on early on Sunday morning. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. This would be later that same day. So the Sabbath and the Passover are both now over. We think these men were returning home, uh, and the Bible gives us a clue, seven miles or so out of Jerusalem. Interestingly, you tell me where Emmaus is. I couldn't find it. Uh, it and I, I, I've heard, I, I'm sure somebody, uh, Paul Burleson, somebody did their doctoral thesis on this, and they still don't know. Uh, you know, um, uh, it it's not real sure, where, but we know it's seven miles from Jerusalem, wherever that is. And they're going, we think they're probably going back home. Now, they're talking about everything. What's the word in your verse 14? Uh, mine has all these things. Everything, Glenda said. Okay. What's the everything? Well, um, it is... Okay, Jesus arrested, Jesus put on trial, Jesus crucified, Jesus buried. Now, can I hang with you for just, a, would you hang with me just for a minute? One of the proofs that Jesus rose again is that he was, in fact, buried. Okay? Uh, you can't really have a resurrection unless you had a burial first. So he was, he was tried, he was crucified, he was buried. And then, and that's what they're kind of talking about. This has been kind of a week of whew, a lot going on, right? You think we were busy last week, you know? Imagine the followers, the close followers of Jesus, which we assume these two were, um, not part of the 11, but they were close followers of Jesus, and certainly the 11, and, and the rest of the entourage have just had an exhausting week. And they're talking about all these things as they go along. And then in verse 15, a stranger joins them. Now, the word, uh, did I ask somebody to read 2223? Luke. 22, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they began to question among themselves which of them might be he who would do this. Okay, so the word question here is translated other places in the Bible, argued. These, and it's the same word here in, used in, um, in verse 15 um, that they were discussing all these things. The word is they're having a debate. There's a strong debate. They were probably arguing a little bit about it. And a stranger joins them. So the fact that uh, in verse 15 it uses the word, um, it uses the word Jesus himself. And I like it in my Bible because himself has a capital H. 
in case you're wondering, okay? Um, uh, the stranger joining them was Jesus himself. That word himself stresses it was him. He walked with them. And notice, he doesn't interrupt. He just walked with them. And he listens first. How many times would you and I probably have a better outcome if we just listen a bit? The one who knows all the answers listened first. I find that just intriguing. Harry? They must have been real close to the group as they said, told us. You're right. And they're, so they're just on the out, just on the fringes of the of the eleven. You got to figure, Harry. That's a good observation. They've heard all this stuff. They must have been with them at least part the partially uh, enough to hear it. So Jesus begins walking with them, uh, as Luke says, Jesus Himself. All right. Now. But the Bible says here in verse 16 that they don't recognize him. Uh, they, for whatever reason, they don't recognize him. Now, um, now, two or three kind of hypotheses here. God, did God just obscure their vision? You know, um, did Charles, they get a cataract? Uh, I don't know. Uh, probably not. But, but did he obscure their vision in some way? Did he look different? Okay, so this is funny. Uh, I was going to pick on Larry Harris today. So tell him when he, somebody tell him when he doesn't show up for Sunday school, he gets picked on, okay? Huh? Okay, Larry, I'm getting get ready to go after you. A couple weeks ago, we were at a car show. And, um, and, and we ran into Larry. wasn't there was with Larry. They were around him. We ran into Larry. And uh, Pastor Bill Search was there. Who, they're friends. They know each other. And Larry approaches Bill, who had on, um, you know, a sweater and a, um, a, a coat and a cap and sunglasses and says, Hi, I'm Larry Harris. <laughs> he didn't recognize him. He looked different it, for some reason. Okay, uh, maybe he just kind of had a different kind of appearance. I really don't know. Or um, um, certainly, we have uh, Mary not recognizing him at the tomb and thinking at the tomb and thinking it was the gardener. Well, no, I think you're right. So let's read a little bit about that. So um, who did I, Karen? Did I give you John 20? Read 14, John 20, 14 and 15, and then jump down to verse 20. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? <laughs> Thinking he was the gardener? She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. So two, just let me give you two little instances here where the women at the empty tomb encountered him and they don't have a clue that it's him. Uh, a little while later, he appears with the 11, walks through the wall, doesn't need the door, 
And still, it seems like, Karen, if I heard you right, he had to produce his hands and side before they said, oh, it's you. And remember that these guys on this trip were walking along, arguing with each other about things that were going on, and the very essence of what they were talking about was walking with them, and they didn't see it. I, I just think, it, isn't it kind of true you and me? We miss the obvious because we're arguing about the obscure. Anyway, yeah, Cindy. Can I just point out something? Is it a possibility that they might have been there when he came to the triumphal entry and everybody thought, here's our king? And that's, they're probably going back and forth like, was he the king? Was he not? He's dead, you know. Oh, I think they're talking about politics. I think they're talking about, did this really happen? Uh, the women think it, think it happened, but I don't know. Uh, you know, all that. All right? Now, I, I think that's a good observation. Now, let's go down to verse 17. So Jesus starts a conversation with them. In verse 17, he's not looking for information. Catch that? Uh, what's his question in 17? What are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? He knows what, he didn't need, he's never needed information. It, but he starts here, he uses a leading question to start a conversation. I, I really like this. Ron and I are working on this on Wednesday nights with our little group, just trying to ask better questions. Okay, so, now I want you to stick with me a little bit. We're going to hang out in verse 18 for a little bit. Notice their question. What was their question in verse 18? Who are you and where have you been that you haven't heard about all this? I want to go back 30 years to May of 1993. Ron's going to laugh at me on this one. We were staying with Marty and Ken. We were kind of candidating to become part of this staff. And we were looking at, at house plans because we were getting ready to move to Oklahoma. And idiot me said, well, who needs a three-car garage? <laughs> Remember? I, I kind of thought of that question when I heard this one. Who are you and how do you not know what's going on? It was just a stupid question, right? By the way, I don't have a three-car garage now, and I wish I did. <laughs> I've had them, and I love them. And uh, anyway, Marty certainly had one, and he just laughed at me. Now, but I want, to, I want you to catch here who these guys were. Now, um, um, Steve pronounced, pronounced it well. Um, Cleopas or Cleopas is one of them that's identified. Um, somebody get John 19.25. Did I give that one out? Sally? Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. So this isn't Clopas. Identified here. Is it, we're really sure this is not Clopas, this is Cleopas. That's a different person, so don't be confused about that. I don't want to confuse you by having Sally even read that. But it's not that guy, we don't think. Okay? But we do know that one of these two is Cleopas, who's the other guy. Um, now, 
I'm going to take you somewhere. And again, when I take a risk to do these things, I do so in, in fear that I'm going to be branded a heretic. But okay. Okay. In, um, can somebody go, uh, Rhonda, go to Mark 14, 51 and 52 in just a minute. Okay. So we kind of have, have learned that all of the four gospel writers put themselves in the story without identifying themselves. Matthew might be the publican in the story that Jesus tells about the publican. Might be. But he doesn't identify himself, right? I think maybe that's true. Um, uh, John, how does he, he, every, he identifies himself all the time, but he never says, it was me, John. He says it was the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? Mark, we're really, really sure that this is Mark that Rhonda's going to read about. But he doesn't say, it was me, Mark. And there may be an embarrassing moment here that he doesn't want to identify. <laughs> and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away. It's generally thought of that the young man was Mark in Mark's gospel. So... Could the other guy in Luke 24 be Luke? Prove me wrong. I, I just want to tease you with that thought. I would think that it was Cleopas' wife because they didn't mention his name. They didn't, and that could be true, and I've heard that too, Michael. But one of the things I read this week said, could this be Luke? And it was just a question that made me crazy to think about because he's got so much detail here. One of, one of the great things about all four Gospels that helps me make sure that I believe them is that they tell stories on themselves that if, when they wrote these things, there are a lot of things I would have left. Oh, them. yeah. Uh, and they included it, the, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly in all this. Right. Well, anyway, could it be? Maybe. So, um, so, in verse 19, they began to tell the stranger about what's been going on. Again, remember, he's not looking for info. He's just trying to enter into their conversation. And uh, they say, well, he was a prophet. Well, you and I know that he was more than a prophet. Uh, it's mentioned, I put the reference to 7, 16, and 17. Often he's, it, someone will say, well, this guy must be a prophet. But you and I know that he was more, and what's going on right in the middle of this story is going to prove that he was more than a prophet. And it says in verse 20, they say um, that he was arrested, put to death. Now, what you and I have got to understand is that for a Jewish person in the first century, this was not expected if that was going to be the Messiah Okay, uh, no first century Jew would have thought this. It would have been too scandalous. This was not expected of God's Messiah. But these two, according to verse 21, had left the city without experiencing the fulfillment of what they were looking for. Uh, I find verse 21 really helpful to me and maybe to you as you're thinking through something that you're going, going through. Have you ever begun a sentence, maybe lately, with, you know, I was hoping. 
I've got a dear friend who, um, uh, Sally, you and I have talked about this friend. Um, everything is going well, and then the margins weren't clear, and they had to do a second surgery this week. And what I heard her husband say is, but we were hoping that we're, that was behind us and we're able to move on. A really young mother. Her name is Kendra. But we, you ever begin a sentence by, well, I was hoping. That's kind of what they're saying here. But this disappointment, they left the game before time was out. They left the movie before the movie was over. You know? They went back from Jerusalem home before they found out what the end of, of the story was. Um, um, look at verse 31. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight and they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up their very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, the Lord has really uh, has really risen and he's appeared to Simon. So uh, it's kind of this idea here. Um, if they had just waited, maybe they would have found the fulfillment of what they kind of had hoped for. And so the rest of this passage that Steve read, Jesus' followers had to kind of live in faith. There was no hard evidence yet, even though there was an empty tomb. Okay, so let's, let's read the rest of it, and I'll try to help us deal with it. Go to verse 25, right? In verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? So the idea here is he kind of rebukes them because of their slowness. Um, the prophets had predicted this. He had also predicted this, but it took a while for all of them. Remember, they just had, they didn't have this, um, uh, this bias that you and I have had of being able to look back. And so he asked them here in verse 26, this rhetorical question, wasn't this necessary? Implying the answer. It was all part of God's plan. The truth is, that question, verse 26, kind of um, um, uncovers for us the central part of God's plan. This was the plan all along. And then in verse 27, he does a Bible study. What a Bible study. Now, I want you to look at something here. Uh, there is a word used several times right in, in through this passage. It's going to be used in verse 31 and 32, which I'm going to in a minute. It's the word, if I'm pronouncing it right, uh, in English from Greek, dianoigo. It's used eight times in Scripture and only by Luke. He likes this word. <coughs> he likes this word. Now, go with me to 31 and 32 again. He says... Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was dianoigo the scriptures to us? 
He was opening them to us. Now, it's interesting here, I think. It's the word that's used in, um, go with me to 2, Luke 2. Why are you going to like this? 2.23. Luke 2.23. Have I got it right? As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that dianoigo shall be called holy. It's used also for a male Firstborn male child who opens the womb of his mother. I just find it interesting that this word he explained to us, he opened the scripture to us, um, uh, is the same thing. It's like the opening of the womb by a male child, a new birth. Isn't this the new birth that they finally get? And so they have fellowship. They invite him to stay. You get the sense that he's going to leave. And they say, why don't you stay with us? And he does. He's not going to impress himself on anybody. And so he waits for the invitation. And you and I recognize that so many things can happen over a meal. And so as we read 28 down through 31, they have a meal with him. And um, um, that you... You know, even Jesus himself is quoted. The words are in red over in Revelation 3 where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will come in, uh, invite me and I will come in and dine with him. And so he does that. And what you and I've got to kind of see what happened in verse 30 and 31. This is probably not, he's not probably offering communion here. But he prays for the food, breaks the bread. Do they recognize what he said, or do they see his hands? Their eyes are opened. Now, and they say, man, didn't our hearts burn? I asked Rhonda for permission to tell this story. So, um, Rhonda's dad that we lost just a year ago had an expression. He often got heartburn, but he didn't call it heartburn. He called it the heartburn. I don't know if that's a Southern thing or not. It's, oh, I've got the heartburn. Yeah, I... I don't know why the, but every time, now tell me, every time, oh, I got the heartburn. I need a tum. I got the heartburn. Um, <laughs> do you have it? They had it. Man, ooh, my heart is burning. Uh, after he had kind of disappeared from sight. Uh, by the way, there's another person in Scripture that I think got the heartburn. There is something left out of the resurrection story that I just wish wasn't left out. But maybe it's left out so that you and I can ask about it when we get to heaven and we can live in faith until then. Uh, look at verse 34, and then we'll close right there. They return... 
They walk back seven miles. <laughs> and they probably skipped all the way. Yeah. And they get back there and they join the 11. They said, guys, it's true. We just hung out with him. I saw his hands. He broke the bread in my house. And uh, as they did that, they say here, and they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found gathered together the eleven, and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Where's that in here? That's not in any of the Gospels, except right there. Why don't we have this picture? Jesus has somewhere along the way gone to Peter and said, hey, buddy, it worked out just like it was supposed to work out. Here I am. Wouldn't you love to have a video of that one? And by the way, if you don't believe uh, uh, Luke 24, 30, 31 here, uh, go, 34, go to 1 Corinthians 15. It says, he appeared to Peter. And, and nobody really talks about that. It doesn't tell us how that happened, when it happened. But by Easter evening, he and Peter had had a literal come to Jesus meeting. Don't you love it? Now Peter's got the heart burned too. Do you have it? How does the resurrection of Jesus change your expectation? You know it should. It should change everything. So next week, we're going to look at another instance of this. Um, we're going we're to uh, have breakfast on the beach in John 21. Okay, Another post-resurrection appearance. They're important to me. I hope they become important to you. But I'm going to ask you, if you've got the heartburn, keep it. If you've got it, Invite somebody this week to dinner and tell them about it. Somebody that you know, maybe, doesn't know Jesus yet. And I emphasize the word yet. I'm working with some young men and women that are just dear to me. And we're just having the best conversations. But I realize they're not there yet. And we're having the conversation, guess what? Over a meal. Wayne? Helen responded. Yeah. HE's got a craniotomy tomorrow because there's a at oh. Okay. There's a, a vessel in his brain that's still bleeding in the Okay. So they didn't go on their trip, I guess. They didn't. Oh my. They just okay. Okay. All right. Thank you for letting us know that. Feel good about coming to church. Pray for HE Crow. Okay. God bless you. Have a great week. I'll see you in John 21 next week.